you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. We'll look at verses 33 and uh, 33 through 37 this morning. <clears throat> the text is also there on the next page of the bulletin. And uh, if you're with us uh, here for the first time in a while, anyway, uh, we're going through Matthew's Gospel. We're, we've been over a year in it, and um, we'll probably be over another year in it <laughs> after this. Uh, we're somewhere in the middle of it now. So um, Matthew twelve thirty three to 37. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we are at your mercy. We are always at your mercy, and that is a good place to be. So we pray that you would have mercy on us as we hear the word of your son now. Have mercy through your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words... You will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So in this chapter, uh, chapter 12, uh, Matthew records some of the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And let me remind you that the Pharisees uh, probably are not people that everybody would look at and identify as bad guys, right? Uh, The Pharisees claimed to know and follow Yahweh, the one true God who's revealed in the Holy Scriptures. They weren't atheists. They weren't Satanists or pagan worshipers of false gods. They were conservative religious people trying to be biblical. And these were the ones who had the most conflict with Jesus. These were the ones who were plotting to destroy Jesus. These were the ones who spoke out against him publicly. And these were the ones for whom Jesus had the strongest words. They thought they were good according to God's standard of goodness. But Jesus says otherwise. They thought they knew what made for biblical holiness, and they thought themselves quite capable of attaining it. They would have looked at the many passages in the Hebrew Scriptures, one of which uh, Kevin read in our Old Testament reading, Psalm 52, that likened holy people to healthy, strong trees that are bearing good fruit. And they would have said, well, if that describes anybody, that describes us, the Pharisees. They made tremendous efforts toward compliance with God's law. They they liked to think they pleased God by their obedience. But here was Jesus, the Lord himself, in the flesh, revealing the true righteousness of God, telling them that they're evil, that in fact, they were children of the devil. That's what he says in verse 34. It's pretty strong language there. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? In the context of the Bible, it's hard to imagine stronger words of condemnation than what Jesus is saying here. So when the devil appeared in the beginning, it was as a serpent, as a viper. The arch enemy of God, the liar, the father of lies, the murderer, who's been a murderer since the beginning, the destroyer of all that is good. And here Jesus is telling the religious leaders of God's people 
those who were teachers, those who had spiritual authority and great influence among God's people, that they were the offspring of the serpent, the sons of the devil, liars, murderers, destroyers like their evil father. And according to God's curse in Genesis 3, uh, it wasn't going to go well for the offspring of the serpent in God's judgment. These are the words of Jesus toward compliant people, conservative people, religious people who are trying to be biblical, whom everyone would have said they exemplify holiness. So what is Jesus saying when he's calling people like this evil? Why is he saying this? How can we make sense of an accusation like this? Because honestly, we're probably the kind of people who would assume that the, the Pharisees have holiness dialed in. We would use that language of them in some way. That they understand holiness. They, they pursue goodness, the goodness of God. They exemplify it. We're the kind of people who would agree with that. And if Jesus says that they're evil, what definition of good and evil is he working with? Because it's not the one that's common to us. Well, uh, this accusation doesn't come out of the blue. It arises here in the context of Matthew 12 from this conflict that's been happening between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's the thing that he's been talking about here for a good, good while in this chapter and before, really. He's, he's the one who mercifully gives rest to our souls, rest from religious strivings, restoring humanity to wholeness in relationship with God by his grace. And the Pharisees hated this. They preferred their uh, transactional way of self-righteous legalism. So they, pro- they plotted to destroy Jesus. That's already happened here in Matthew 12. It says they plotted to destroy Jesus and they spoke evil of Jesus. They demonized him. We looked at that, I think, last week. They, <clears throat> they made false accusations against Jesus to turn people against him. They, they repudiated Jesus. They denied him before others. They spoke evil words about him. Their words about Jesus were revealing where their hearts really were. And that's how Jesus is using this metaphor here about trees bearing fruit. So, um, you know, I think uh, we look at passages like this and we think maybe he's talking about hypocrisy. He's not talking about hypocrisy, not really. Uh, where the person appears to be good on the outside, but really is rotten to the core. Hypocrisy is a problem we often associate with the Pharisees, and Jesus does have plenty of words about that for them, but uh, that's not really what he's talking about here, because hypocrisy is about hiding the truth about yourself. And here Jesus is talking about words that actually reveal the truth about yourself, the truth about your heart. The hypocrite tries to hide the reality of his heart by his actions or by his words, like when you know, the hypocrite does uh, apparently selfless things, but they're doing it really from selfish motives. Or when someone, you know, makes a big show of condemning some behavior publicly when secretly he's engaged in that very thing. Hypocrisy is about deceiving people into thinking you're good, deceiving yourself into thinking you're good. It's about rotten trees that bear apparently good fruit, right? That's not the way the metaphor is being used here. Jesus says, either... Make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the heart, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he's saying in this case, there's a, a strong and obvious connection between the fruit that the Pharisees are bearing in their speech and the heart 
that is behind that speech. So the mouth speaks what comes from the heart. The fruit is the evidence of the nature of the tree. And the fruit that he's talking about is not uh, just some external behavior which could easily be faked by hypocrites, a pretense of some generic virtue or good works in general. Jesus isn't saying just in general, if you were a good person, you'd do good things. He isn't even saying, if you were a good person, you'd, you'd never use foul language and you'd always say nice, kind, good things. I mean, maybe those things are true to some degree in some way, but that's just not what Jesus is talking about here. He's very specifically addressing their words about him, not just words in general, not just speech in general, their words about him because of this conflict they've been having with him where they said bad words about him, where they attributed his good works to the power of the devil. So fruit here, then, is the way Jesus is talking about it, it's, it's your personal confession about Jesus. It's your testimony about Jesus, specifically. Good fruit is good words about Jesus that come from a good heart that loves Jesus. Bad fruit is bad words about Jesus that comes from a heart that is hard toward him. The Pharisees had denounced Jesus publicly, and he called it evil speech that comes from an evil heart. It's bad fruit that comes from a bad tree. They thought they were good in so many ways. They went to great effort to do God's law, but what they said about Jesus showed what was really in their hearts, and it always will. Biblical holiness is about being distinct from the world of sinners. It's about being set apart. That's what that word means. Holiness is about being set apart for God, set apart unto God. And the essence of that holiness, that goodness, Jesus says, it has to do with your relationship with him. It's a matter of your heart, particularly of your heart's connection to God, your heart's connection to Jesus. The regular old sinner, the evil person, the unholy person has a heart that's detached from Jesus. It's a heart that's cold toward Jesus, a heart full of animosity and resentment. And this uh, comes out in their words in what they have to say about Jesus. The goodness of the good person, the holiness of the truly holy person, it is a heart that is warm toward Jesus. That's the nature of it. It's a heart that's warm toward him connected to him for life, full of thanksgiving and joy and love for Jesus. And this goodness comes out of the heart in good words about Jesus, a good confession. The Bible uh, doesn't talk about the heart in, you know, the scientific medical terms that we use so frequently today um, as that, uh, that blood pumping organ that's crucial to your physical, biological life. The Bible talks about the heart as the core of who you are spiritually, who you are relationally, who you are in your soul, the seat of your deepest life-defining affections. And that's the level Jesus is addressing here. So if you want to bear good fruit, you've got to make the tree good. If you want to, you, you, you can't just practice and try really hard to bear good fruit, sort of staple it on. You can't change the fruit without changing the tree. You can't change your words about Jesus without changing your heart toward him. So is God, is love for God at the center of your being? 
Is your heart drawn to the love of Jesus? Is it captured by the love of Jesus? Is your heart's desire to be shaped after the pattern of Christ's own heart? Is your heart set apart for God? Not just your words, your heart. That's where the words come from, the words about Jesus. How can you find out the answer to these questions about your heart? Jesus says how you speak of him reveals where your heart is with him. All kinds of people can outwardly demonstrate kindness or compliance. Uh, These things don't necessarily indicate a changed heart toward Christ. In Western culture, so many external values have been shaped by Christianity over history. But just adopting these values uh, doesn't get to the heart of the matter. Plenty of people act like Christians should act, but their hearts are just untethered from Christ. And they would never confess Christ as Lord They won't speak of him as the reason for everything they do in life. But those whose hearts are inclined toward Jesus will will attribute all goodness to him. Being good means your heart overflows in a good confession. It means out of the treasure of your heart, you bring forth words of faith and trust and dependence upon Jesus. It's a testimony of adoration and singing of praise to Jesus And that is completely unnatural for sinners, especially for the self-righteous religious kind of sinners like the Pharisees. People whose own self-righteousness is at the heart of who they are. They will not like having to admit that they're not righteous, (laughs) having to admit their dependence on Jesus. They won't want to acknowledge their own sin and therefore their need for a Savior. They... Don't want to praise someone else as good. They want all the praise for being good themselves. They don't want to admit that Jesus is the center of the universe, and they're not. They don't want to say that we have to submit to his judgment. They don't want to be known as an associate of Jesus because he associates with sinners, and what would that say about us? They don't confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because they don't want to confess it. Because of their hearts. Paul puts it this way. 1 Corinthians 12. He says, I want you to understand. So this is a way of saying it's important. (laughs) I want you to understand. No one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord. Except in the Holy Spirit. So apart from the spiritual vitality. That comes only through the Holy Spirit. We, we want most of all to believe in our own goodness. We want most of all to be able to testify to our own goodness. We want most of all to be able to stand on our own goodness. And so, we're reluctant to testify to the goodness of Jesus, whose goodness shows up our lack thereof. As sinners, Our own self-righteousness is at the center of our being. In our hearts, we're captured by the love of ourselves. If we're going to become good, if we're going to be truly set apart as holy in our hearts, to come to revere and delight in Jesus, we need new hearts. People need this change at a radical level. So you remember that word radical means at the root. It's like radish, right? Keeping with the plant metaphors here. Make the tree good at its root, in its core, so that the fruit can become good. Make the heart good, 
so that a testimony about Jesus can, come, can become good. How do you bear good fruit? Make the heart good. <clears throat> how do you do that? Well, Jesus doesn't give us instructions on how to do this for ourselves because we can't do it for ourselves. We're at his mercy. You can't give yourself a new heart spiritually in a new and vital connection to God any more than you can open yourself up on an operating table and give yourself a heart transplant even to save your own life. What is needed is literally a miracle of God's work, a new creation, which was, of course, God's idea in the first place. He says in Ezekiel 36, this wonderful promise of uh, renewing a relationship with us. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So Jesus says, you'll be known by the fruit of your confession about Jesus. That your words about him will be evidence revealing your heart. He says in verse 37, By your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. So for you theologians out there, uh, that doesn't mean that your words about Jesus are the grounds of your justification before God. As if to say, you just need to say something good about Jesus, and then God will, part of the transaction, he'll honor the transaction by forgiving you and welcoming you because you said those good words. Justification is by faith alone through the grace of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus has paid the debt of our sin and Jesus has renewed the righteousness of humanity in himself. And this forgiveness and this righteousness are his free gifts to believers. So your words about him are not the grounds of your justification, the reason for the restoration of your relationship with God, but they're evidence of a heart of faith. And you need those words. They're a necessary evidence of the heart of faith. And if you need words, good words about Jesus that correspond to a heart of faith in Jesus, words that express your heart of faith in Jesus, then what you need most of all is a heart of faith. Not just saying some words. You need a heart of faith. And this is what God promised to do because of his great love for sinners, completely in spite of the fact that sinners have stone-cold hearts toward him. He said, yeah, I'll fix that. So when the Holy Spirit is at work, making you a new creation, spiritually doing this work that none of us can do for ourselves, out of his sheer grace and mercy, he performs a spiritual heart transplant. He makes your heart good. He makes it holy. By inclining your heart toward Jesus, to need him and to trust him and to love him. Being holy has everything to do with that, the heart's inclination toward Jesus. There is no other version of holiness or goodness that even comes close to qualifying as such, according to Jesus. You see that in the lives of the Pharisees. Only God could claim that holiness has to do with your relationship with him. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's defining our holiness, defining goodness, with reference to himself. 
So whatever definition of goodness the Pharisees had in mind, Jesus calls it evil because it resulted in words spoken against him, which revealed that they were against him, against the Lord in their hearts. They might be conservative religious people. They might not be addicted to drugs or alcohol or sex. They might not be greedy. They might not cheat on their taxes. They might be responsible parents. They might never use foul language to speak kindly to most people. They might appear to everyone to be really good on the outside. They can't say anything good about Jesus. Which means they're bad trees bearing bad fruit. They're unholy. Just like the rest of sinners in this world who have rejected God and his ways. There might be plenty of really nice people in the world, but if they can't say anything good about Jesus, if they don't profess faith in Christ, if they don't connect all their life and their works to him, if they instead deny him and want to have nothing to do with him, it's a bad heart, Jesus says. It's a bad tree, and they're still in need of the work of the Holy Spirit to make them good, which is what the Spirit does. And the Spirit does this work alongside the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's when people hear about Jesus in all of his goodness, in all of his glory, in all of his reality, that they're given opportunities to respond in their hearts in ways that can work out in their confessions. <clears throat> so John Calvin says, the Lord extorts from each kind, uh, from each some kind of confession so that they discover by the tongue their natural disposition and hidden feelings. <laughs> Jesus confronts you with himself so that what you say in that scenario will reveal to you what's going on in your heart and whether the Spirit is working there or not. When the Pharisees were confronted with Jesus, bad hearts just spewed forth bad words about him in an attempt to go back to business as usual. Let's get him out of the picture. Let's live in the old self-righteous transactional ways of pretending we know what makes for true holiness. When you are confronted with Jesus in the means of grace that God provides... When the good news is conveyed to you through his word and through his sacraments, where does your heart go? What do you confess? The most encouraging thing I ever hear as a gospel preacher is when you celebrate and proclaim the same gospel when you speak well of Jesus as the one that you need and trust and love which so many of you do. So many of you do that. It's, it's, it's the <clears throat> most encouraging thing. It reveals that the Holy Spirit is at work. He's making good trees who bear good fruit. He's making new hearts that give expression to faith in Jesus. If we're to bear good fruit and be holy according to Christ's definition here, we need the Spirit to continue this work among us. So first thing we need to do is thank him. Thank him for what is a reality among us. Thank him for the ways that we can perceive his work among us, how we see ourselves and each other, and sometimes even our children, uh, responding to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing him and celebrating him and, and telling other people about him in ways that are meant to convey God's love to them. We can pray also for the Spirit's work in our lives, in our children's lives, in the lives of our friends and neighbors. We can pray for his work of setting us apart for true holiness by inclining our hearts to Jesus. We can pray for eyes to be opened, to behold the goodness of Jesus. We can pray for hearts to be humbled and softened and hearts to be set free to embrace Jesus. We can pray for that connection between heart and mouth 
to be obvious as we speak good words about Jesus. So let's pray for those things. Amen. Let's close uh, with Psalm 92, uh, which is printed here. I'm going to close praying that. uh, Father, by your spirit, give us hearts to pray this prayer to you with reference to your son, the Lord of the Sabbath. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to Yahweh, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Yahweh, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Yahweh. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they're doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Yahweh, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Yahweh, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You've poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous Flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of Yahweh. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They're ever full of sap and green to declare that Yahweh is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.